Let's look in Psalm 56. Psalm 56. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. Before I do that, I want to orient you or reorient you to what the Psalms are all about. Uh, Just a reminder, the Psalms are a collection of Hebrew poems that were written to be sung to uh, musical accompaniment. So basically, Psalms are a hymn book. They were written to be used in corporate worship among the people of Israel. And if you had to come with a major theme, uh, come up with a major theme, I think what Kendall easily says is so good. He writes, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. So the Psalms remind us that whether you're on a mountaintop or a valley, God is worthy of your worship. And whether you're on a mountaintop or a valley, God is worthy of your trust. You can trust Him no matter what comes your direction in life. My favorite, uh, our favorite family song right now, our, our family goes through songs that we love and we listen to over and over again. And I don't know if you've heard this song, it's on K-Love, but it's God of the Hills and Valleys. Have you heard that song? No? Did y'all, y'all listen to K-Love? You want me to sing a few bars? Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome song, God of the Hills and Valleys. I love that thought about, uh, about the Lord. So uh, the Psalms uh, remind us of those, those ideas. I like what John Piper says about the Psalms. The Psalms are songs. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And that's why you can talk to uh, a lot of folks in Life the Church, and, and probably a majority of people you talk to, if you get on the subject of the Psalms, will say, I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms. And probably the majority of you in here would say, I love the Psalms. Why? Because they help us to connect spiritually and emotionally. We can resonate with the different emotions that we see throughout the Psalms. And we see uh, just ranges of emotions. And yet this, this kind of stalwart faith in clinging to God, no matter what life brings. And so uh, I love the Psalms, and love studying through them. And we've made it all the way to Psalm 56. Can you believe it? Uh, we are, uh, are working our way through. And tonight I want to talk about fear versus faith. Fear versus faith. So let's look there together. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump right in studying Psalm 56. Psalm 56. Now notice the small print there right before verse 1 that gives us the context of this psalm. And just a reminder, remember... Uh, in the Hebrew Bibles, that small print is verse 1. Okay, So this is part of God's Word. Uh, that, that, those small words were not uh, added by a Bible editor or translator. That is a part of the original Hebrew text. And it says, To the choir master according to the dove on far off terebinths, a miktom of David. These are probably musical terms, most, people, most scholars think. A miktom of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So that's the historical backdrop uh, that uh, David has in mind as he writes it. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly when I'm afraid. I put my trust in you. That's one of our Bible drill verses our children learn. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Great verse. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? 
All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape in wrath. Cast down the peoples, O God. Now look in verse 8. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are grateful, Lord, for another opportunity to gather and to fellowship and to study your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we read your word, as we discuss your word, that the Spirit of God would move in our midst to open our hearts, to understand your truth, and to, Lord, have the desire, the inclination to respond to your truth. So, God, would you just help us in these moments? Uh, We believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So, would you just move in our midst with power for your glory? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear versus faith. Now, before we get into breaking down this psalm and digging through this psalm, I want to say a word about the historical context there and the small words to the choir master according to the dove on far off Terebinth, a miktom of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So that's the historical backdrop when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Now, what is uh, being referred to here? Well, turn with me to 1 Samuel 21. I want to show you the story that serves as the backdrop. And I think as we see the story, we'll understand David's words in Psalm 56 uh, so much better. 1 Samuel 21. Now, before we read uh, the last part of 1 Samuel 21, uh, in chapter 19, uh, we see David fleeing from his home as Saul's men prepare to kill him. You know, Saul... The first king of Israel was insanely jealous of David, and he wanted to kill him, and so David was running for his life. We see that in chapter 19. In chapter 20, David goes to his friend Jonathan, who was Saul's son, who discovers that Saul really does intend to kill him. Uh, so he warns David, and David has to, has to flee. Jonathan was no help to him to make amends with King Saul. In chapter 21, David goes to a priest to get some food and a weapon. He's just trying to survive. Uh, He's on the run, running for his life. And then at the end of chapter 21, something interesting happens. Look what it says in verse 10. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, we'll talk about Gath in a moment. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands before. Saul turned on David. David was a general in Saul's army and was very popular with the people, which is one of the reasons Saul was jealous. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? 
Do I like madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And then in verse 22, or chapter 22, it says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adjulam. So, uh, interesting story about David going to Gath and acting like a madman so they don't kill him. Now, what is going on here? Well, first of all, uh, James Montgomery Boyce makes this observation, three things about David during this time. First of all, David was alone. In verse 10, it says, David rose and fled that day from Saul, so he left everyone he knew. He had to leave uh, his friend Jonathan. He had to leave the priest that had helped him. Uh, Saul and his army was closing in on David, and so David had to leave. He was all by himself. He was alone, and, and loneliness is not a good feeling, and David was experiencing that loneliness. Second, uh, Boyce makes the point that David was desperate. David was desperate. In verse 10 it says, he went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, when you heard Gath, did that ring a bell to anybody in here? Anybody think of a famous warrior that came from Gath? Anybody think of one? Goliath, Goliath came from Gath. I mean, Gath was the, the center of the Philistine army. Remember, the Philistines are, are enemies of the Israelites, and David had done a lot of fighting against the Philistines, and he had killed Goliath, their champion, who came from Gath. So you can imagine... How, how desperate David was to go to Gath, the sworn enemies of the Israelites, the, the hometown of Goliath, to try to hide from Saul. He had nowhere else to go, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. He goes to Gath. It's shocking. He was desperate. And then third boy says, David was afraid. He was afraid. Verse 12, it says, David took these words to heart. The king says, why is this Israelite warrior here? David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So David was scared. He, he, if he was in Israel, Saul was going to get him. He goes to Gath, and he's scared. Okay, Achish is going to get his vengeance. I'm going to die here. He's going to kill me. So he's, he's alone, he's desperate, and he is afraid. He had gone from the favorite son of Israel to a fugitive. And, and that's the context of Psalm 56. That, that's the... The anguish that that psalm was written from. And so, what does David do? Well, David has to act like a madman. He's, he's clawing the gates. He's letting spittle run down his beard. And he apparently did a good job because the king said, hey, I have enough crazy people in Gath. Why do you bring me another crazy person, right? And they don't kill him. They just think he's crazy. He gets kind of off on the insanity defense. And, and when he gets the opportunity, he flees from Gath because he knows he can't stay there long term. And he hides in some caves in Adjulam. So... Uh, that's the historical backdrop for this psalm. But Psalm 56 asks, or answers this question. How did David deal with his loneliness, his fear, and desperation? Okay, Psalm 56 tells us how David processed this time in his life, this desperate, lonely time in his life. So back in Psalm 56, we see three things about David. First of all, David wrestles with fear. David wrestles with fear. Two things I want you to notice here, and these two phrases, they also come from Montgomery Boyce, if you let me use him one more time, because he has some really good things to say on this psalm. But he says we need to notice the fury of the attack, the, the threat on his life. Look in Psalm 56, verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. So he feels like uh, 
people are after him. He feels trampled on by man. He's got nowhere to turn. He goes to Israel, Saul and his army. He goes to Gath, the Philistines, Goliath's family. I mean, he has enemies all around him. He is literally surrounded, the the fury of the attack. And then notice the nature of the attack. Look in verse 5. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. So is he he talking about Saul and his men? Are he talking about the Philistines? The answer is yes, probably all of them. They're they're after him. They're saying things about him. Uh, Their thoughts are evil against him. He knows that they want to destroy him. They stir up strife, verse 6. They lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape in wrath, cast down the people's O God. And so he is uh, under attack here, and he's wrestling with fear uh, in this psalm. So, the first part of the psalm, David wrestles with fear, which leads to the second part. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time. We see David chooses... Faith over fear. David chooses faith over fear. Which leads us to ask this question, we're going to answer it from the text. How can you and I cling to faith in the midst of fear? Because fear is a reality in all of our lives. Right? I've never counted this before. I've heard that there are 365 occurrences of the command, do not fear in the Bible, which would be one for every day of the, the year, right? 365. And, and if that's true, that's a, a good reminder that fear is something that we are apt to face every day, right? Fear can come in unexpected ways or expected ways from difficult circumstances, and, and we've got to learn how to grapple with fear, how to deal with fear and live out faith in the midst of that. So how can we cling to faith in the face of fear? Several things here. First of all, you've got to know that God cares. How can you cling to faith in the midst of fear? You've got to know that God cares. Verse 8 is so extraordinary. Well, look at verse, let's start in verse 3. When I am afraid, David says, I put my trust in you. That's a great verse to commit to memory. You can have it memorized before you leave tonight. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Let's say it together. Ready? When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Very simple verse. And David's saying, in the midst of my, in the midst of my fear, I'm going to choose faith. That's, that's what he says. And he does that by knowing that God cares Verse 8, he says, You have kept count of my tossings. The idea here, if, if there's different ways this word could be translated. Uh, it could be translated wanderings. Uh, if it's tossings, the idea here of the translators is the, kind of the tossing and turning at night because you can't, you can't sleep, you're filled with fear. It could be wanderings, you kind of fling for his life kind of thing. But he's saying, you've kept count of, of what I'm going through. You're, you're aware of what I'm going through. You've put my tears in your bottle. That's an extraordinary verse, isn't it? Are are they not in your book? And so David here is saying, God, you care. You You know exactly what's going on in my life. Every tear that streams down my cheek, David's saying, you know about it. You've put it in your bottle. That word bottle, the Hebrew word, is literally the word for the leather skins that they would carry liquids in. And he's saying, you, you have a, 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 a bottle, a, a, a carrier of liquid, Lord, that is for my tears. You know every reason behind every tear 
that streams down my cheek. And he says, are they not written in a book? You know, there's a, a remembrance, a recording of my life. God, you know everything I'm going through. And so David could choose faith over fear because he knew God cares. You need to understand that God is not a distant, impersonal deity. He's, you know, deists believe that God, there is a God, but he kind of wound up the universe and he kind of, he's letting it unwind. He's staying a distance with his arms crossed, uh, just watching things unwind. That is not a picture of the biblical God. Our God is intimately acquainted with what's going on in our individual lives. He knows the reason behind every tear. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He, listen, he knows us by name. God cares. And David's saying, I can, I can hold on to faith in the midst of fear because I know God cares. Let me say it like this. God is not indifferent to your struggles. Now, sometimes it may feel like he is, but he's not. God is not indifferent to your struggles. He cares about what's going on in your life. You know, I've heard people say things like this before. You know, I've got some issues in my life, but but God's so busy running the universe that, you know, I don't want to bother him with my stuff. And I've heard people say that before. And, and maybe maybe you've even thought that before. You know, sure, I've got stuff, but, you know, there, there's all these other things going on in the world, and, and I'm not going to bring my things to God. Uh, I don't want to bother Him or burden Him. Listen to me. God's a big God. He can handle it. He can handle it. And not only can He handle it, He wants to handle it. He wants you to cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. So, you, listen, you, you've never shed a tear that God is not intimately aware of. Isn't that an incredible thought? Everything you've ever been through, highs, lows, hills, valleys, mountaintops, uh, difficulty, God has it recorded in a book. He knows all about your life. He's not an indifferent God. So, first of all, David says, I know God cares. I'm going to cling to faith. Secondly, how do you cling to faith in the midst of fear? You need to find comfort in God's Word. Find comfort in God's Word. Look in verse 4. In God whose Word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Look in verse 10. In God whose Word I praise, in the Lord whose Word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Isn't it interesting that twice in this psalm that deals with faith in the midst of fear, David's saying, I praise God's Word. I praise His Word. I'm grateful for His Word because David had a sure foundation for his life even though he was going through very uncertain, difficult things. And that that foundation was the Word of God. And you and I have a firm foundation in our life. It is the Word of God. Things change, people change, seasons come and go, but the Word of God does not change. The Bible says it's forever settled in heaven The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Amen? And so the Bible, God's Word, is a a foundation that we can stand on. It is truth that we can cling to. We feel like fear is overcoming our faith. And so if you find yourself afraid, you need to not walk but run to your closet and open the Word of God and let God speak into your life nourish you, reassure you, help you through that difficult time. I cannot over-communicate how important the Word of God is to live 
in faith in the midst of a fearful situation. Now, I believe David's talking about something specific here. Over in 1 Samuel 16, if you remember, God sent Samuel to anoint David as the next king of Israel. Remember, he told Saul, you disobeyed me, you were presumptuous, and so the Lord has found a man after his own heart. And in 1 Samuel 16, uh, the Lord directs Samuel to find David, the youngest of the sons of Jesse, and they call in David from the field, and God says, this is the man, this shepherd boy will be the next king of Israel. And so uh, Samuel anoints him with oil to be the next king. Remember that story? First Samuel 16. Now, that was a word from God. God said, this is the next king. Now, when David is running for his life from Saul, who was the present king of Israel, he's in Gath. He's far from the throne of Israel, isn't he? As a matter of fact, it looked like it wasn't going to happen because the present king warned him dead. But what did David have? He had the word of God, the promise of God. God said, you're going to be the king. And so even in the midst of fear and uncertainty, he said, I can stand on this promise. I know that because God said it, I will be the king. God will see me through. God will take care of me. And even years down the road, when he still wasn't the king, he could stand on that promise. So he had the word of God to stand on. And you and I have the word of God to stand on. We feel afraid. We need to get into the Word of God. It's a sure foundation for life. Next, how do we choose faith over fear? We need to understand God cares. We need to find comfort in God's Word. Third, we need to rehearse God's attributes in our mind and heart. Rehearse God's attributes. Question that Spurgeon poses. What is there in God that we ought to put our trust in? So what are the the attributes, the characteristics of God that we can uh, cling to in the midst of fear? What's what's true about God that will sustain me through this difficulty? That's that's the question that I'm posing here. And so I've just come up with a few attributes of God um, that can sustain you in the midst of fearful situations. Number one, his promises. We just talked about the promises of God to David. You're going to be the next king, and God always comes through on his promises. And God makes some promises to us, doesn't he? So let's just talk for a minute. What are some promises in God's word that matter when we're dealing with difficulty? Think of any? What's that? I, yeah, the pre- I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a great promise, right? So whether you feel it or not, in the midst of your difficulty, God is there. Why? Because He promised to be there. Great. What else? What's another promise that matters in the midst of difficulty? Psalm 46.1. He's our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. So you can count on Him not just to be there, but to help in the midst of the trouble. Amen. Great promise of Scripture. He loves us, right? His love does not change. Even if, if our circumstances change, it does not change the fact that God loves us. Uh, the, the, the cross is the supreme demonstration of the love of God for us. And we need to understand that no matter what we're going through, we are loved by God. Great, great reminder. Romans 8.28, that in all things God is working together 
for our ultimate good, for His ultimate glory. He weaves everything together in our life for good, even the hard stuff. And it takes God to do that. I mean, you and I have been through things that are so difficult. You're thinking, how could God ever use this for good? But He does. I can't explain it, but God does it. That's a promise that no matter what you're going through, God uses it for good. What about James uh, 1 when it says, Hey, whenever you encounter various trials, rejoice, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so God's promise that when you're going through tough times, He is building your character in the midst of that. So even though it's hard, God's doing something that's ultimately going to be better for you, right? So we could go on and on just rehearsing these promises that we need to stand on. So who is God? God is a God that makes promises, and God always comes through on His promises. Why? God cannot lie, right? Secondly, His power. David's rehearsing the power of God here. Notice what he says in verse 4. What can man do to me? What can flesh do to me? Verse 11. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And so what he's doing here is is he's he's comparing the, the resources of evil men uh, with the limitless power of God. And he's saying, there's no contest. I mean, if God wants to protect me from this army of Saul and this army of, of the Philistines, then he can do it because he's all-powerful. His power. David, in effect, is saying this. I believe you are powerful enough to take care of me. And here's the question. Do you believe that about God? Do you believe that God is powerful enough to take care of you? Now, it's easy to say, amen, preacher, you know. Preach it, preach it, brother. But when you're in the midst of the trial, it's a little bit harder to grasp hold of that. If we're going to live in faith instead of fear, we've got to remember that God is powerful. Third, His wisdom. Do you believe God is wise enough to take care of you? Or wise enough to to work this situation out in a way that is good for you and glorious for Him? Do you believe that God has all the answers? The the theologians call this the omniscience of God. God knows everything. right? He he is unlimited in wisdom. And He applies that wisdom to our life and to our situations. His wisdom. Wisdom. What about his justice? His justice. By that I mean God always does the right thing. God always does the right thing. He's good. I talked about this on Sunday morning. He's good. He always does what is good. He's a God of perfect justice. His mercy. We can trust God's mercy. That God is merciful to us. And and listen to me, no matter how bad it is, it's not as bad as it could be. You hear what I just said? Because you could be in hell. That's a lot worse. But God is merciful in that He is patient, wanting us to come to repentance, and He saves us, and He is merciful to us in our lives. And so we need to trust in His mercy. His all-sufficiency. His all-sufficiency, that God is sufficient for whatever you need in your life. That that Christ is enough. If, if you believe that God is all-sufficient, you can say, if I've lost everything, but I have Christ, I have everything I need. That's all-sufficiency. 
And it's also saying, if someone has everything, but they don't have Christ, they have nothing. God is all-sufficient. Christ is all-sufficient. This is the core issue of trust. Listen, either God is sufficient to meet all of my needs, or He's not. Fear says God's not sufficient. Faith says God is all-sufficient. See the difference there? But you've got to remind yourself of these things. Because in the heat of the battle, in, in the moment of trouble, it's hard to remember that God is sufficient to meet all of your needs. So rehearse God's attributes in your mind and your heart. And so Psalm 56 is very instructive. David says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. When, when, I'm, when I'm trying to hold on to, to faith in the midst of fear, I need to remember, God, that you care. I need to remember that your word is a firm foundation for my life. And I need to remember who you are, God. I need to remember your attributes, your character that are, are realities that I can hold on to in the midst of my trial. So, in this psalm, David wrestles with, wrestles with fear. Number two, David chooses faith over fear. But here's the third thing. David ends the psalm by expressing gratitude. Look in verse 12. I must perform my vows to you, O God. Speaking here of, of the, the worship system that God had put in place for His people. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. And so God, I, I believe that you will deliver me, that you have delivered me, and in light of that, I will say thank you. I will express my gratitude. Expressions of gratitude, and this is in your notes, remind you that God gives deliverance. In other words, if you're going through something difficult and, and things get better, it's not because you just figured things out. God did it, right? God did it. And when you say thank you, it's a reminder, a cue in your own life and heart. Hey, God did this. God is the one that helped me here. This isn't coincidence. Listen, if you're a Christian, you need to get coincidence out of your vocabulary. There's no such thing as coincidence. God is sovereign. He's a God of providence. He's in control. He's weaving everything together, good and bad. And so you and I, if we're going through difficulty and and we see deliverance, things get better, we don't pat ourselves on the back and we say, God, thank you for what you did, right? Right? Gratitude is just a way to remind yourself God is the one that helped. God is the one that delivered. Gratitude proves that you are trusting God, not yourself. And this is a big deal. Um, Because some people, when they're in a tight spot, they make some... uh, They make some... uh, they enter into some uh, negotiation with God, right? God, if you just get me out of this, right? If you get me out of this, then I'm going to be more faithful. I'm going to do this and do that. And, and, and then they get through the difficulty. God brings them through, and they forget about all that, right? And go back to living just the way they used to live. Gratitude won't let you do that, Right? If you made some commitments to the Lord and said, God, I, I, you've shown me through this difficulty I need to change in these areas of my life, then you get through it and everything's better. And you say, thank you, God. You're reminding yourself, God did it. Reminding yourself, you need to 
keep your end of the bargain. Not that you bargain with God, but keep, your, keep in mind that you need to change on some things. And God showed you that in the midst of your trial. So gratitude is important. It, it's a reminder that God is the one that gave, gives and gave the deliverance. And this is important. Expressions of gratitude prepare you for your next encounter with fear. Expressions of gratitude prepare you for your next encounter with fear. If you spend some time just celebrating God's deliverance, celebrating God's power and wisdom in your life, and and you you put down a, a spiritual marker saying, this is the time in my life when God showed up. And you make a big deal about that. Well, the next time that you encounter fear, difficulty, and you're wondering how you're going to make it through, listen, all you got to do is look back at that marker. Hey, I remember that time God brought me through. And if God did it back then, guess what? He can do it again, right? As we walk through Joshua, remember they put up the, the stones, some 12 stones in the river, 12 stones in, in, in Gilgal on the other side of the river in the, in the promised land? This is a reminder. Hey, God was faithful to bring us into the promised land, to, to give us victory, to, to part the rivers of the Jordan. And every time they saw those stones put there as acts of gratitude and remembrance, they remembered, hey, God is big enough to take care of us. And if we will make a big deal about gratitude and put these spiritual markers down in our lives, the next time we encounter difficulty, we can just look back and say, God, who is faithful to me in the past, will be faithful to me moving forward too. So listen, when, when God does something in your life, when God shows up in dramatic ways and, and God brings about deliverance, make a big deal about it. Celebrate. Write in a journal. Plant a tree in the yard. Something to, some, some way to remember what God did. Because that, that little marker of remembrance will fuel your faith the next time fear comes knocking on your door. And it'll, it'll come back, right? Fear will come back. Because life is hard. On this side of heaven, you'll have to deal with fear again. you have to deal with difficulty again. you have to deal with hardship again. And that's when you need to remember, God had... Listen, God has never let me down. And if He didn't let me down in the past, look at all those mileposts, He's not going to let me down now either. And so gratitude is a big deal. And David said, I'm not going to forget when God delivers, I'm not going to forget that I need to give God my thank offerings. I need to tell God thank you for what He has done. So David expresses gratitude in this passage. So, you and I have some choices to make. When hardship comes, when difficulty comes, we've got to choose, am I going to live by fear or am I going to live by faith? David, in the midst of very difficult times, chose faith. And he shows us how to do that. Remember God cares. Get into the Word of God, the firm foundation for our life. Remember who God is. Rehearse His attributes in your mind and your heart. And hey, when God does something, don't forget to say thank you. Amen? So, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you.